Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Um, as you know, we've been going through the, the book of Colossians, which was a letter written by Paul to the Colossians, the people in Colossae. And um, what we're going to cover today is uh, chapter 3, um, verses 18 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And if you know what those are going to say, it's um, first we're going to have to tell wives to submit to their husbands, then we're going to have to tell children to obey their parents, and then we have to touch on slavery and somehow walk that out. And I asked Brian, I said, you're leading me through a minefield here. There's no way I'm going to survive this. So anyway, um, we'll make all of that make a lot more sense today. But um, before we do... Um, I love maps, and I, and I love to learn visually and look at maps, and it's fun to read the scripture and then, and then look at a, a map and find where it actually was. So we'll go ahead and bring up the map here. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, and really what we'll do is kind of walk through where some of this biblical uh, writing and, and some of the biblical um, scenes took place. So we'll start from the west and move our way east. So the green dot, it's like a light green dot really up, really up high in the west, that's Rome. Um, the pink dot all the way to the south is the island of Malta. That's where the Apostle Paul would have been shipwrecked on his way to stand trial in Rome, which is the green dot. You with me? Moving uh, east from there, there's a, a, a bit of a, a, like a lime green dot. That's Athens, Greece. Below that is a pink dot. That's the island of Crete, where uh, Titus was, where Paul wrote him a letter, um, uh, on the island of Crete. Going west, and we'll or I'm sorry, going east. We'll drop. If you drop down to the south, there, the blue dot. That's Jerusalem. The dot above that would be Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee. The dot is so big it kind of blocked them all out. North of that is Antioch. That's the orange dot. Uh, the light green dot on the island to the west is the island of Cyprus, which is talked about in the Book of Acts. Paul would have visited that. If we go west of that, there's another green. Or I'm sorry, we'll go with a red dot. That's Laodicea which is mentioned in the scripture. The yellow dot um, on the shore is Ephesus. The pink dot is the island of Patmos, where John would have written the book of Revelation. And then the green dot below the red dot is Colossae, and that's where the story is going to take us today. So the reason I love maps is it makes it real. It's not a fairy tale or something written long, so long ago that it's mythology or legend. It's real, and it happened, and here's where it was. And that's what's so neat about it. Before we leave the map, um, there's an area that's just west of that blue dot of Jerusalem. And it's called the Gaza Strip. And if you've watched your news at all lately, you know there's a lot going on there. So we're just going to pause here and pray for those folks and for Israel there. Heavenly Father, we've seen the news and we know there's biblical implications and we don't understand them to the depth that you do. Um, we pray for your people. Protect them. Let your will be done. Father, we don't know what to pray, and we don't even know how to think about it, and it's confusing. And we know that there's so many things about it that are beyond our comprehension, but they're not beyond yours. And we pray that you just be with your people. Be with us as you're prompting us to pray and how to pray and what to pray for. That's our ask. Um, our brothers and sisters from a far land are going through strife that we can't imagine. Both you know, Israel on a national level is going through something as a nation that I can't even fathom, and on an individual level, 
Um, I can't even begin to, to think of, of the fear and the trauma that's going on right now. So Father, what we can do is pray, and that's what we're doing, and we pray that you hear us and, and be with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So again, we're going to go through uh, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 in Colossians. We're going to do a quick recap of, of, what that, of what, where we've been up until now. Chapter 1, we learned about growing in the knowledge of God, living a life worthy of God, going deep, um, a detailed description of who Jesus really is, and what and why Paul labors so hard in spreading the gospel. In chapter 2, uh, we went through a call to persevere as Jesus is well worth it. The Apostle Paul explains the death of our sinful nature with, with Christ on the cross and our risen nature with him as he's made alive. Chapter 3, in the, light of our death of, in the light of the death of our sinful nature, we set our minds on Jesus and turn from our wicked ways of our past and lead a life reflective of the gift and the character of God. We align ourselves with the behavior of God. So having said that, um, we're going to go through um, Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. And I think what's, what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is, is breaking it down and getting more and more and more down to Main Street or more and more specific. And today he's going to go through some relationships in our lives that are the closest to us. And he picks them on purpose. And so we're going to go through that today. Um, but I urge you... Um, some of these scriptures, it's not that they're, they're definitely not wrong, and maybe they're not misunderstood sometimes. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is we're going to focus on the why question a little more today, not the what, meaning what does it mean to submit to my wife? That's a valid question. We're not going to focus our energy there today. We're going to say, why did God tell me to do that? And that's where we're going to go. And hopefully the why answer will help us in the what. Does that make sense? All right. So, Colossians 3, verses 18. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right. Is that the sentiment that some of the wives have in the congregation? It's not all that bad, and we'll explain why. So, first of all, this does not mean inequality with your husband. He cannot see further. He doesn't have a greater vision from God. He's not more close to God and to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't discern better than you do. That's not what it means. What if it's more about you than it is your husband? And what I mean by that is we live in a world that has flat lied to women. It's told them that they are, in short, only to be appreciated for their physical attributes. We use it to sell things. We use it to demean them. And they're not treated in the purity that God intended out in the world. And so when you think about it like that, why would you submit to your husband? Because if not, you're going to submit to that nonsense. And it's a lie. So they treat you harshly, and they treat you like an object. In other words, you're objectified, treating like something stripped of a bit of its humanity. So... Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It starts to sound a little better. Ephesians 5, 21, we'll go ahead and use it as a supporting scripture. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what verse 21 says, which is the follow-up of a lot of stuff that was written before that in context. So he got, or, or there, Paul's writing to everyone. Everyone submit to each other is what he's saying there. Then it goes on. Wives, submit, to your, to yourself, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. God wants you to be loved in the way that, you want, that he wants you to be loved. He designed marriage, and he's instructing your husband to treat you in a way that protects you from the lie that's out there. Take refuge in God's design. That's why he's writing it. We'll go ahead and go to 319. And there's the, I already quoted, but husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You can see how he's working this together. These two things go together. Wives, don't listen to what the world is going to tell you out there when it's not in line with what God says. I'm going to instruct your husband to do this in the way that I want him to do it. Let him speak into your life and let him love you in a way that God designed, not in the inappropriate way that we would find in other places. Um, I've, been, I've been following Jesus for 21 years now, um, and it's just, I wouldn't say it's been all easy um, or even all fun at times, but it's well worth it, and I, obviously I would do it again, and I'm going to keep going. But there's been lots of influences throughout that time um, that I've listened to, different pastors, different, different books I've read. Um, but there was one that I was thinking about um, that applied to this, to this text that we're reading today. Um, it was kind of a, 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 pair of, a pair of folks, and their story became known on an international level more like in the early 2000s. Um, they weren't from North America, um, as far as I know. They were, they were uh, in a, I guess, in a place far, far away from that. Um, but their names were Shrek and Donkey. And um, they rose up out of a place called the Swamp. And anyway, uh, the message was clear. It was that Donkey, onions have layers. Ogres have layers. And that, I thought to myself, that's it. Scripture has layers. And so as we read this today, we'll look a little deeper. Um, a land far, far away. Did you catch that? That was so well crafted in there. Swamp was supposed to come first, but I was afraid that the younger crowd may then figure it out before the punchline. So nevertheless, let's go to layer one. And so we're taking those two verses together, and we're going to break them down in layers. So layer one, God wants marriages to function well. That's why he's saying, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. He wants your marriage to function well. It has an earthly application, a practical application right here, right now, today. Okay, it's very, very layer one. He wants her to be happy with him and him to be happy with her. Joy and happiness in general will be better. And this, if we follow this, it fosters an environment to maximize our joy and our peace. Okay? It's good for us right here, right now. In addition, it's order and peace through hierarchy. He wants his kingdom to function well on earth. So it has applications right here, right now. Layer two. If our marriages function well, we represent his kingdom and his leadership well, causing those around us to seek Jesus. Our witness in Jesus' eyes is ultimately, um, or the reason that we want to do this and walk this out well is so that souls get saved, right? Our family and our marriages re reflect the love of Jesus. 
make them want to join a marriage like that. Layer three, God is trying to tell your wife or your husband he loves them. He created a relationship so close requiring such vulnerability, paying off with such joy because he's trying to tell you he loves you. He's created a relationship reflecting something much larger so that our human minds and our earthly bodies can maybe fathom the things to come and they can maybe fathom the bigger picture. Does that make sense? And yes, it comes with pain, but there's joy. Layer four, God is trying to give your wife or your husband a sense of marriage love. His church is the bride of Christ, and the revelation of eternal marriage is what he's after. There are hundreds of scriptures we could pull out to support this point, so I've only pulled out about 57 that we'll go through now. Um, Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And what we're looking for through here is all the language about bridal love and the bride union with God as, as, the, as, the, as the bridegroom. Us the bride, he the bridegroom. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who, and the angel's talking to, to John on Patmos, which we looked at earlier, said, to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. God's talking about a marriage banquet, a wedding supper that will end in a marriage for all of eternity. 2 Corinthians eleven two, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you pure as a virgin to Christ. There again is that marriage language. Luke 5, 34, and Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He was asked about fasting, saying the groom's here with them. They're not going to fast because I'm with my bride right now. It was when he was on earth. In the same vein, Jesus saying in Matthew 9, 15, as Jesus said to them, this was again in the, in the fasting conversation, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Again, the people are the, are the, are the, are the wedding guests and the, and the bridegroom is with them. He's the groom. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast, meaning his resurrection. They didn't realize that at the time, but that's what it was. The groom was on earth. Now he's resurrected, but we're going to meet him again. John 3, 28 through 30. So this is John the Baptist speaking. You yourselves, he didn't write, John, but this he's speaking here. You yourselves bear witness with me that I said I am not the Christ. Remember, John the Baptist was sent to pave the way. He came before Christ to get, to get people ready, right? He was baptizing out in the wilderness, speaking about this greater one that was, was to come. You yourselves bear witness with me that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. There is joy of my, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. There's something even deeper going on there, and I'm going to stretch it just a little bit, and I hope you'll just go with me on this. And if it's, 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 it's good anyway, even if I'm not completely spot on, I think I am. But Matthew 11, 11, this is Jesus now talking and describing John the Baptist. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. 
Look back at what John said. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Do you see the language there? Is John describing, I'm like the best man at a wedding. Jesus even says he's greater than all of them. That's who the best man would be in your life. This bridal language and the fact that we're submitting to our husbands and our husbands are, and, our, and our wives are submitting to, or, or our husbands are treating their, harsh wife, their wives not harshly, is to train us for this eternal marriage that's going to take place. And to get us excited about the fact that God is our groom, we are his bride, and it's talking about it right here, and John is the best man. And maybe I'm stretching it, but I see it right there. Isn't that cool? God is shouting to your spouse that he loves them. He's using your marriage to try and maybe give us some small comprehension of how he feels about us. The reality that you're all probably thinking of is that I fail in my marriage, or my husband or my wife, they don't do a good job. I'm sorry if that's you, but the reality is is it's all of us, and it's every marriage in this room falls short of the glory of God. As we do as individuals, our marriages do too. And I'm sorry that that happens that way. But if we look at the why, why does he say to do these things? Why? Because if you go through the layers and you keep asking why, the why is because I don't fail you, my beloved bride. I don't fail you. And it's okay in light of that to have grace on yourself and grace on your spouse. So again, what does it mean to submit to your, to your husbands? What does it mean to not be harsh with your wife? Start asking, why does God say that? And the answer is going to come a lot easier. I'm just going to leave that with you. Is that fair? Okay. So now we'll go to Colossians 3.20. We're switching topics, but the message is kind of the same. So Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Again, we'll break this down in layers. Layer one, God has given parents authority over children, keeping them safe from harm, raising them up in the way that they should go. The submission to parents is in the best interest of the child. It's as simple as you have a toddler and you say, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Or you have an adolescent and you're saying, I don't want you hanging out with those kids, they're bad news. It's for their best interest. Right here, right now, practical application today. It's good for you here. But in the theme of what we're doing today, it doesn't end there. Layer two, God is our Father, our Heavenly Father. Training to obey our earthly parents is training for how to follow Jesus as adults or as adolescents or even as kids. How to listen. Have you ever heard your parents' voice, either your mom or your dad, in your mind in a certain situation where they've addressed it prior to and you hear it? That's training for how it is when you hear the Holy Spirit either reminding you of Scripture or prompting you, don't do that, or don't say that, or be nice to them, smile at them. It's training. The way that you train to listen to your mom and dad will train you for how to listen to God and follow him. It's also training in how to obey when we don't completely understand. Um, Sometimes if I tell my my wife Amy and my boys are out of town tonight, so if I was, especially for the wife submitting to your husband, I was like, in case I messed that up. But anyway, because of the internet, you're never too safe. But um, how many of you say to your kids, you tell them to do X, Y, or Z, and they say, why? And you say, because I said so. And I hated that as a kid because I'm like, that's not an answer. Back up what you're saying. And then I, now as I'm an adult, I'm thinking, because I said so. You don't need to know. But how many times 
do I say to God, why? And he says, because my thoughts are higher than yours. I wish I should, maybe I should start to say that's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are higher than yours, meaning follow me because you don't see the big picture. You just have to trust me. The same way with my kids. If I say, you're not doing X, Y, or Z, they don't always need to know, nor could they even comprehend it if I tried to explain it. So the because I said so lives on. Don't ever give it up. <laughs> Scripture is riddled with examples of what this looks like if you just want to read the book of Exodus. It is full of examples of Moses trusting God and, and his children, meaning the children of Israel. It's a, you know, they weren't biological children, but they were followers, and they were referred to as the children of Israel, following Moses, having no idea. And they often couldn't understand it. He couldn't explain it. But you see how this is all connected? Okay. We'll go to Hebrews 12, 9. Uh, Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? So again, it's just saying it's a safe place. Kids, whether you're, whether you're a literal kid and you're under the age of 18, you still live at home with mom and dad, this is for you. If you're an adult, you can either look back and let that heal your childhood a little bit and let the Holy Spirit and maybe, maybe a, a godly friend straighten that out with you. But also, children is never going to be a term that we ever really get away from. We're children of God. We always need this truth. Submit to God. That's what this is about ultimately. Currently, last point on this, currently kids at home, we live in a Nerf world where things that hit you, I guess if it hits you in the eye like a Nerf dart dart can hurt. But if it hits you anywhere else, it's not that big of a deal, right? The consequences aren't that great. And that's kind of life until you're about the age of 12, Then you hit adolescence, and the stakes start getting a little bit higher. All of a sudden, it's not such a Nerf world anymore. And then you leave your father and your mother's house, and gang, you're playing with live ammo. Things have big consequences. Submit to your mom and dad. It's training for how to follow Jesus in a world that's rough. All right, layer three. If our families are representing Jesus and his kingdom to the world, it brings him joy and glory. Kids, if your friends see you submitting to your, to your mom, if you're, if you're a grown child and you, and you have parents, um, your, your relationship represents God and brings him glory. Not to mention the perpetuation of the gospel has thrived because of the family the entire time. Again, just like the last time, reality is, is does this system break down? Do kids always obey? No, they don't. Um, our parents always right in how they raise them. Nope, tons of mistakes made along the way. I've done a lot of that myself. God's not gonna let you down. And this is ultimately about you being trained into the kingdom of God and what you're gonna do to follow Jesus. A king that's perfect. A parent that's perfect. A dad that loves you in a way you can't even imagine. All right. Slide 14. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It's pretty easy to understand that right there on the surface. Level one, the fact that God gives you authority over children doesn't mean that you can be overbearing, angry, scary, and feared in an unhealthy and ungodly way. This will only impair child development. God wants your child to develop with a healthy mental state and physical state. He's into that. Real world application right here, right now, today. Layer two. 
Father started to be a safe place for children to receive love in a tough world. Um, I have written, girls need hugs in a godly way, and boys need affirmation in a godly way, but they both need both of those things. We all probably understand the, the, the philosophy that if you look at adolescent or teenage girls, if they haven't received good, godly love from their fathers and their mothers, they're going to go find it somewhere else. They're going to find that physical touch that they want and that they were given by God to desire. They're going to go find it. You want them to find it in a godly way at home with a pure hug and a pure kiss, not what the world is going to offer them. Young men, if you've ever been in a locker room, you're going to know. It's like the measure of a man or the idea that you're approaching manhood or that you're on the right track is if you look at those young ladies as a thing to be conquered, they're not. And that is weakness. It's not strength at all. It's not manhood at all. So dads, build up your sons, moms, build up your sons to train them that, that, that their young ladies, that their friends are to be kept pure. And the mark of strength is if you can resist that flesh and follow God. You with me? That's good, because I don't know where I left off. <laughs> it's a Moses thing right there. I don't know where I'm going, but you're following me anyway. All right. God is, uh, layer three, God is shouting through fathers the revelation of his love, kindness, gentleness, grace, safety, and sovereignty to our children. Um, Psalm 103.13, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Real simple. He's trying to tell you he loves you, and he's using the relationship of parents and children to get at that. He's trying desperately to tell you, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. What do I have to say? Maybe I'll put someone in your life that you're so close to that takes so well care of you that you'll get a revelation of me, and maybe you'll follow me, and then I can have you as my bride, my son, my daughter for eternity. Bad news again, this breaks down. He won't let you down. And it's a lot easier to be a parent when you know it's okay to give yourself grace because he paid the price for those mistakes. All right. Real quickly, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Again, just an example of that parent-child relationship. Matthew 7, uh, 9 through 11. Which one of you... If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, question mark. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil, meaning earthly fathers and parents, and, the, and compared to God, you are evil. I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's not that you're that bad. It is that you're that bad, but it's, it's more that he's that good, right? You who are evil know how to give good, give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give you good things to the, give good things to those who ask him? This is just a glimmer of the parenting love that God has for all of you in this room. It's just a glimmer. And when it hurts so badly that it broke down, and I, I don't know what your situation is, and I can never know the depths of what you've gone through, the good and the bad, I could never know. But he sees you. He knows. And when it feels like, how could I trust again? Know that he doesn't let people down. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He never walks out on you. Can you just understand, even in the pain, it still speaks of how much God loves his children. The fact that it hurt that bad means that you were made to know how good it should be. Okay, 
All right. We got through that. Now we're on to slavery, which is going to be tough. But we'll go to Colossians 22 through 24. We're going to read it all in one pass. It's two slides. It says, bond servants. This is the English standard version. Most, well, many other translations of the Bible is just going to use the word slaves. Bond servants, same thing. Fair enough? Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Before we go any further, bond servant, or let's just use the word slavery, is not okay. It's not in line with God's character. It's not who he is, and the Bible does not justify it. It's wrong. And, this, and what I mean is the, the, the form of the word slavery that we understand today. It's not right. I don't have time to explain all of that, and there's biblical scholars that could do a much better job of me, than me anyway, but I just know, look at how God treated the Egyptians. He's not okay with it. Can we just get past that? It's not okay. One example of how this may be, um, the argument is uh, we almost try, I don't want to say ease the blow, but that's kind of what we do. We try to say, well, maybe it really didn't mean that. Maybe it did, but God's not okay with it even if it did, right? It's not okay with it. Um, but say back in, if I were in an agricultural society and I was a young man, just got married, and I had no money, no capital, and I wanted to start farming, I may say, okay, I'm going to go approach a more wealthy individual that can let me, give me a portion of his land, and for the next 10 years, I'll give him half of the crop as an example. For those 10 years, I'm a slave to that lender. So what I'm trying to do is pivot and translate this as how in the world does this apply to you today? Because you work for somebody, right? So this is about, for us now, this is about, you could just say, this is about the workplace or where we're at in life. All right, level one. Hard work or godly work is good for you in the eyes of your employer and all around you. It benefits you. So if you go back to the scripture, it says not only when God's looking. It's okay to have favor because of the fruits of your, of your labor, it's good. It's a real application right here, right now. If you work hard, if you do a good job, if you work as unto the Lord, that's a good way to have a good career, right? I'd argue it's the best way to have a good career. Hard work, creativity, accomplishment, serving, having fun is all a sense of fulfillment. It's also good for just everybody's mood, you and everybody around you. When you're doing good work, you'll feel better. Slacking off and procrastinating, believe me, I'm the chief offender. It's not fun. It always leads to something negative. Hard work, expressing yourself, putting your creativity into your work, embracing it, doing it unto God, that's fun. All right, level two. Working with sincerity of heart lays the foundation for your witness. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among you, or among who you shine like lights of the world. Do you see that language there? It's like like what we were talking about a minute ago. It's a messed up world. You're going to be different. God is saying, I'm setting you apart. You're going to be a lighthouse on a rocky coast guiding those ships home. All right, 
the age-old saying is that people would say, I want what he has, I want what she has. What's different about them? You'll stand out. Level three, now we're going to have some fun. It'll reap rewards for eternity. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 12, 33 34, sell all your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where there's no thief approaching and no moss destroying. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then the last supporting scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Okay, so you can see through the scripture, he's saying what you're doing here, yes, it'll earn you money here, but in the light of eternity, there's a bigger, there's a bigger gift at play. God loves to give good gifts, and when we work mindful of him in the workplace, he's going to reward us for eternity. And even if you, make no, you, re, you receive no benefit from it here, he sees you. He sees what you do when nobody else sees it. That's why it says... Do it when nobody else sees you do it. Work well. Work unto me when nobody else sees it. It's not just because it's good for you here. It's good for you. The payoff here is nothing. It's a, it's a maybe, I would even say it's a fraction of the payoff to come. You do this right, you walk this out right now, in the, in the, in the lens of eternity, this is going to be a really big payoff for you. God loves to give good gifts. All right, level four. Working in mindfulness of Jesus' eye upon us grows our closeness in communion with, with him. Again, he wants your heart. I was recently at a, uh, a wedding in Milwaukee, and it was a, a Catholic wedding. And you know how those uh, Catholic churches, especially old inner city Catholic churches, the sanctuaries are just incredible. Everybody, you probably have all been in those at one point in your life. The stained glass, the molding, the level of craftsmanship is just beyond comprehension. Um, my uncle, who was the father of the bride, um, I, I don't remember how it came up, but that came up at the wedding reception. Um, and I said, uh, some, somehow it came up how, how beautiful the sanctuary was. And he said, you imagine that even if you were the last person there building that sanctuary and everybody had left for the day, you still give it your very best because you know God's watching you. And I feel like, if, if, if I were that guy, I thought about that a little further. If I were that guy, you know, take it to a, you know, Dick's in the audience here. Dick's a, a woodworker. If you were building molding or building some ornate piece of that sanctuary and you cut something too short, you wouldn't just caulk it and paint it. You'd cut it again. You'd cut it so it's tight and fit well. You'd give it your best. And so my uncle who said that is a good craftsman, and I've watched that over the years. So it had weight with me. He's not just saying it as somebody who observed it. He walks it out. And he's that way with, in his parenting as well. What he says has weight. So even though, yes, he's, made, he's, he's, he's a fallen person, as we all are, the truth of God's character through him builds up those around him, right? It built me up. 
All right. And it brings God glory. Um, I know that it's also fun to do the things that God made us good at. It fills us with joy to express our gifts. Does anybody remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Would have been like the early 90s about a British runner. Um, so anyway, there's, I know there's a lot of runners and cyclists in the room. Pastor Brian uh, ran cross country in college. And so hopefully this, is, this strikes a nerve with some of you. Um, but in the movie, the line was, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I, I too love to jog, um, and I love to cycle, but I wouldn't say I'm very good at it. I mean, this was built more for, like, folk-style wrestling and board games. That's what... <laughs> so, but nevertheless, I jog, and I've got an odd stride, and I'm, and I'm a high eight-minute miler at the moment. And i got to admit, though, I do it anyway, and when I jog, I feel God's sense of humor. And... <laughs> But when I do other things that I know I'm good at, I feel the passion of God. And it's okay. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It's not making about you. When you realize God gave me this gift and I'm going to do it before him and enjoy it with him. There's a difference that could easily be pride and arrogance. But if we do it in light of God, your giftings, the things that you're good at, the things that you're passionate about are absolutely a blast to go do. Right? Okay. Colossians 4, 1. Masters, or slave owners, or bond, whatever, people who hold bonds, provide yourself, or for, sorry, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Layer one, godly leadership benefits the leader and the subordinate. Productivity, creativity, fun, ease of conducting work, is, is, and, and a good alignment is much better with good godly leadership. It drives the success of work. I'm in, I, I'm in the business world. Um, I'm not a pastor, um, so you, know, you get what you pay for up here. Um, I'm not a pastor, but I, I, I can tell you from the business world, if you want a really good top-line revenue and you want really good margin in between, retain good people. Lead in a godly way. It has a good positive effect on your business. The work of your hands will be better if you lead in a godly way. In the same way, if you follow in a godly way, a real earthly benefit right now. If we're doing this, we don't want to give in to greed and materialism, but if we want to be successful in what we do and we're submitted to God, that's a godly thing. And on this earth, in this life right now, there's a godly benefit to it. But it doesn't end there. Layer two, godly leadership offers a revelation of God's character. Servant-hearted leaders represent Jesus. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, meaning they abuse those who they're in leadership over. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for the ransom of many. Jesus was the most servant-hearted leader ever to walk the planet. And his gospel, as a result, is incredibly successful. It's spread throughout the world, just as he said it would. Godly leadership leads to good productivity and a good result, a good end product. Layer three, 
Godly leadership builds trust needed when following Jesus. Again, Moses could be the example. We'll go to layer four. Godly leadership leads people to salvation. Again, this is another close relationship that's meant to reflect Jesus so that God can have souls for eternity. That's what he's ultimately after, you. He wants his bride, he wants his son, he wants his daughter, he wants his worker to be with him for eternity. So ask, why would God write these things for that reason? He wants you so badly, he's just trying to give you an example of how badly he wants you. When you know that, it's a lot easier to submit to your husband or to be not harsh with your wife. Actually, you'll start looking for ways to do it even better in light of this truth. So if you don't know Jesus, and this is spoke to you this morning, and you feel it down in your heart that you want to follow him, the invitation is there for you. You can do that. Um, and if you want to do that, you can repeat after me in just a minute. But to give you a very quick scenario, God came and he paid the price for everything that we did wrong. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway because he loved us so much and had to have us for eternity. And that was the ultimate message he sent us above our marriages, above our relationship with our kids and our parents, above our work relationships, the ultimate message of God's love to you was written in blood on the cross. So if you want to know Jesus and you know that you've filed up, he wants to forgive you. He wants to put clean linen on you, as we talked about earlier. So you can just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I've messed up. I want to be your bride. I want to be your daughter or your son. I want to work for your kingdom. I want to be yours for eternity. Jesus, please forgive me and come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, we don't want you to just go out into the world. Come and find one of us. We want to disciple you and train you up in the way that you should go and maybe begin healing some of the stuff that happened and all these things. For the rest of you, I know this didn't go well. It did not go perfect. There's examples that every single one of you could list of how this has gone wrong 20 times. There is healing for you here in this life. But ultimately, God, the restorer of all things, is going to make all things new, including you, and including your relationship with your heavenly father, your heavenly parent, and your heavenly master. So we'll close in prayer on that point. Heavenly Father, you're the God of depth. And though we went through four layers of some of these things, we can't even know because your thoughts are so much higher than ours, the depth of your love, and of your sovereignty and of your grace and your joy over us when you, think, when you think about us and see us. We love you, Father. We pray that you'd help us to heal and mend these relationships here on earth, but give us a deeper revelation. Father, fill this congregation with your Holy Spirit. We pray that they would know that you love them. And they would move in the grace and the knowledge of your kingdom. We pray that this stays with us all week that you remind us of it, and that we dig, 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 dig deeper. And though we didn't go to the what, we know that you're waiting to tell us. I've left them with that, Father, and I ask that by your Spirit, you show them. We thank you for the time today. In Jesus' name, amen.